for me, they've always been the pinnacle of the end of the year. Um, everyone's always super happy to go there. It's uh, you get to get out of Europe, you get to go to get to go to Canada. All the people there are super nice and friendly, and yeah, it's just a, a little bit different style to what we we race the whole year in Europe. Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro, editor. You just heard Michael Matthews speaking about the Grand Prix Cycliste de Quebec and de Montréal. In 2018, he won both of those races. I spoke with him about those wins and his history with the Quebec races, which are running for the 10th time this year, starting on September 13th. Social media editor Dan Walker, how you doing? I'm good, good. It's uh, nice to be talking bikes on this rainy, rainy day. Mm-hmm. It's the only biking we'll be doing. <laughs> only bike-related stuff we're only doing Only bike-related stuff we're doing is talking today. And it's a rainy day farther in the past, further, further in the past than usual. Because we're recording this well in advance of the Thursday that this is dropping. Okay, I was confused how we were time-traveling. We're time-traveling. This is, is time-travel. Back to the future? We're back further in the past uh, we need doc brown here to we explain do. this and his delorean we're about to uh, head out on some trips yeah no i am off to uh, the wilds of montana mm. um for the shimano grx event mm-hmm. uh product launch there we'll be riding the back roads around glacier national park which should be super sweet i've never spent any time in that part of the st- those part of the states and, and uh yeah, it's good times. So the magic of time travel is that when this podcast lands, you'll actually be back. I'll be back. But I will be away at Eurobike when this comes out. Quick test. Uh-oh. What's the name of the town in Eurobi- that Eurobike is in? It's Friedrichshafen. Yeah. Um, uh, which How, I, would you bet your life on that pronunciation? Nope. No. No, it's the best I'm going to be able to do. Um, I believe uh, there used to be a lot of Zeppelins produced there. Dirigibles blimps um, that went well for them didn't it <laughs> i don't know if the hindenburg itself oh, okay. was produced there, uh, there you don't have other all, you don't have the full history lesson no for this us. is this is as history as i get okay. on this one um so right as you're hearing this i'm there you're there <sighs> okay right. but in this episode uh we have that chat with uh, michael future. matthews no that was done in the past that was done in the past oh, but in the so future, much time travel here but in the future is the those two Grand Prix races in Quebec that yeah are you know always really a cool part of the calendar? No, when I uh, when I lived in Montreal, it was always a fun day out, mm. um, and it's a really great setup having the circuit race. Um, you know, it's around Mont Royal and the Université de Montréal. Like you can go see both both parts of the race and make it to the finish. Um, you can go to Saint Laurent, grab some food, have a picnic as well. Like they do a really good job making it spectator friendly, um, and if you're you know in the east coast of Canada or you're looking for a nice trip to Montreal and Quebec City, definitely worth it. You know it's the mm-hmm. uh, it's rare that you get to see so many World Tour riders pass so many times. Exactly, it is a great way to to take in the sport. Um, I've seen him twice in both cities. Quebec, it's a little easier to get uh, around the course and check it check out the action from different venues, but. Um, yeah, they're both fantastic races. And 
Uh, Michael Matthews does a really good job of uh, breaking down those races, uh, getting into a bit of the tactics and strategies. It's a, it was, I really enjoyed my, uh, my chat with him. Also in this episode, Coach Peter Glassford. Um, he has some great advice for you, as always. Dan, have you ever done uh, a full weekend of cross racing Saturday, Sunday? I've tried to do a full weekend of cross racing. And what happened? Uh, I flatted on the second race. Oh, so you didn't didn't do a full second race. It's an attempt. I haven't done it in a long time, but uh, it uh, it can be, you know, it it brings its own, not only um, physical athletic challenges, but also logistical challenges, especially if it's maybe a race in the U.S. that you're driving to. Um, or even somewhere else in the I found province. the hardest part is you now have to clean your bike right away for the second day. You can't let instead, it... Instead of leaving it till Wednesday or Thursday, you got to clean it. Right. There's mm. there's no marinating in the dirt. Nope. It's got to be race ready. Uh, so Peter and I discuss uh, some of those things like logistics and the physical demands. And the discussion actually went a little wider uh, just on planning your cross races for the year. You know, it's also an underrated part of that. What's Getting that? up early two days in a row. Oh, call the ambulance. Yeah. I have no sympathy for you there. <laughs> nope. But first, a look at two classic road races made here in Canada. Earlier this year, I spoke with Michael Matthews about the Grand Prix Cycliste de Quebec and Montreal. In 2018, he became the second rider to win both races in the same year. He's competed in five out of nine editions of the Grand Prix, so he has some insights into the tactics of those races. He even raced the Challenge Sprint Pro competitions that were a feature of the earlier editions. He gets into that during our talk. He also gets into what he and other pros like about the Quebec one-day events. The Grand Prix Cyclistes de Quebec and Montreal will celebrate their 10th editions this year. Michael Matthews, uh, your first race at the Quebec Grand Prix was in 2012. What brought you to that race and the the Montreal race of that year? Um, Yeah, it was was always on the plan um, to do... Canadian Classics in the, my second year pro. Um, it's a race that uh, suited my characteristics after winning the World Championships under 23s. It was um, yeah, a similar course really to uh, to what we experienced in Australia. And um, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I think the, in 2012 I did the sprint rounds um, before, uh, before actually the, the Quebec um, Classic. So yeah, I was a bit tired for the for the actual race because um, I think I went all the way to the finals and I ended up I think uh, second or third in the in the sprint rounds the night before. So yeah, it was a busy it was a busy week in the end. Almost a almost a short stage race with the sprint rounds and then both the Canadian classics. But yeah, I, yeah, I love being I love being in Canada and yeah, the racing style was uh, is is always the racing style I like. So. I've always watched it when I was when I was younger, and um, yeah, it was yeah great to be a part of it. Except for that that first race in Quebec, which um, maybe you were tired from those sprints, but um, except for that race, your results were always very good. 
uh, actually they seemed a bit better in Quebec than in Montreal. Does Quebec um, suit you better or do you like that course better? Yeah, I think the climbs are a little bit shorter in uh, in Quebec than in Montreal. And uh, yeah, a little bit less climbing where in uh, in, in Montreal is you're basically climbing or descending. And uh, in Quebec, you got a bit of time in between the climbs to recover a little bit. And then, yeah, I think it's like a one minute uh, push on the climbs. But uh, in Montreal, it's I think um, the longest climb is above five minutes, I think around about that. And the other ones are around two minutes so they're a little bit longer which yeah if you keep going over and over again yeah it suits the climbers more than the punchy guys but um yeah this year uh, last year in 2018 i really worked towards being able to do a little bit the longer climbs too to make sure i didn't get dropped um and last year in 2018 you won quebec in a in a fairly late sprint i think you went with roughly 200 meters to go what can you tell me about your tactics in that finish um yeah i was pretty confident going into the sprint but um i've also um missed out on a couple of wins there the last few years from just being in the wrong position and uh trying to come too late from the back and normally the sprint starts to weave all over the road so you get quite blocked um if you try to come from behind and yeah, the guys in front really have control of the of the sprint. So, yeah, and uh, last year I just tried to make sure I was in a good position and that I could have uh, free air to do my sprint. And yeah, I think with the with the way I rode the race, we, me and my team, we rode it quite smart. And um, I still had a really good uh, last two hundred meters to be able to um, yeah to win the race. But uh, yeah, in the end, for me, it was all about positioning between. I think uh, 3K and, and, and 1K to go. That was really the crucial point that I was missing the years before. And this year, I just didn't take any risks. I went straight to the front and uh, just led the sprint out. Ah, so it's it's sort of the action that happens in those from three kilometers to maybe one kilometer to go that actually does this, that sets you up for that sprint near the end. Yeah, that's what I've learned over the last years. I, I always tried to, yeah um try to come from behind but it's actually quite a narrow road up to the up to the finish there and if it is still a decent sized bunch it's a lot of guys that uh, can can get in your way so i made sure this year that i was i think i was already second or third wheel with uh, 2k to go and um i think that then guys just kept coming around to pull sprints for their or pull the lead out for their lead for their sprinters and in the end it just kept working out better and better for me that i didn't have to do anything until the last 200 meters now, after your um, win in Quebec, um, how would it have felt if you maybe didn't win in Montreal? Were, were you happy with Quebec? Or, or maybe putting it another way, was Montreal just easier with the win already in Quebec City? Yeah, obviously I was super happy with winning in Quebec. Um, that was always the goal was to win in Quebec. Um, then, yeah, basically I just had nothing to lose going to Montreal. I just... Uh, Went into the went into Montreal as if yeah I've already won in in Quebec now so it's a whatever happens now is a bonus and um, I went there with quite good confidence I guess knowing that uh, no one could really drop me on the climb and I knew I had a really good sprint uh, in the final um, so yeah I went there with really high confidence and just raced my team just made it uh, 
the race for us. We rode the we rode the race like we wanted it, and um, yeah, some other teams tried to make it hard for us, but uh, in the end, I was I was good enough to be able to get to the finish with uh, with with good legs left, and um, yeah, I think I was a little bit far back on the final corner, which I thought it was done from there actually to um, try and pass all these super strong guys in front of me to be able to still take the win i th wasn't sure if it was possible anymore from i think i was sixth wheel with uh, with 200 meters to go or 300 meters to go so it wasn't ideal but um yeah i just launched my sprint from when i felt the time was right and yeah i went really far to the right to um yeah see see what would happen if i did that and then uh, there was a little gap between uh, Van Avermaet and I think it was Cabrelli. And um, yeah, I could get into the, the slipstream of Cabrelli and just come around him on the finish line. So it was, um, yeah, I did definitely didn't expect that. But uh, I was just racing with my heart and yeah, having fun. And uh, I think that's when you're having fun, that's when you, your dreams come true, like a, like a, like a weekend like that did in uh, Canada that weekend. Uh, the only other rider to win both races in one year is fellow Australian Simon Garrens. Is there anything about the way you won the double that you share with Garrens other than nationality? Um, yeah, obviously I was I was in the same team with, uh, with Simon when he won. I wasn't racing, but I was in the Vuelta at the time. And we watched both of those races and yeah, it was pretty amazing to see someone win both of those courses when they're two pretty different races when you think about it and especially for punchy riders like us it was pretty surreal for, for someone to win both but um yeah my plan was to for my team to ride like uh like green edge did that day for simon they did uh, they pulled the sprint both days with a super strong lead out and uh, obviously simon was also super strong to to finish it off but um their teamwork that day was pretty pretty on point i think um that they were so strong the whole team and that was actually my plan was to do a similar thing i knew i was probably the fastest guy there but probably not the best climber so i was really trying to make sure that my team was really good in those two races to make sure they could support me and yeah put me in the best position to to finish it off but um, yeah, we were we were a little bit caught out with uh, positioning uh, in the uh, Quebec, so I just stuck to the plan and I made sure I was in the position where where Simon how how Simon won the race because we're similar riders, I guess. Maybe not as fast in the sprint, but he's probably better a little bit better uphill. So yeah, I needed to ride it similar to what he did. But um, yeah, in the, the final lead out wasn't quite um what he had but i think through the race we ra we raced similar to the way green edge raced those two races for him so i think yeah like you said uh i think i took a lot of what he did and uh i learned from it myself and yeah he used a bit of it into into winning my double has your feeling towards those races in montreal quebec changed over the past nine years or have they evolved maybe um i think for me they've always been the pinnacle of the end of the year um everyone's always super happy to go there it's uh 
you get to get out of Europe, you get to go to get to go to Canada. All the people there are super nice and friendly, and yeah, it's just a, a little bit different style to what we we race the whole year in Europe. So, yeah, I think every year it's getting bigger and bigger. Obviously, um, like with any race these days, but um, for me, it's just I I just love going there every year. I'm I'm also going to go back again this year. Just the the whole experience of it is so much fun and. I think racing all year in Europe, you get a little bit uh, caught it up, caught up in it a little bit. You're probably not as jo- enjoying it as much anymore. But then you uh, you get you go over to Canada and you free your mind a little bit. Different people, different languages, and yeah, it's like a fresh start almost at the end of the year. So it's it's and you get to be there for. I think we always go three or four days before the race, so we get to experience the culture in Canada. And yeah, I think it's the whole package of it is just. A super fun week. Do other pros in the peloton share that view of Canada uh, or the Canadian races as a as a nice change of scene? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of a lot of guys like circuit racing too, and there's not so many circuit races in Europe that we uh, we get to do these days. So I think the last one that I can sort of think of was Pluay, where we had a circuit, but now they've changed it to. Uh, a big uh, a big loop and maybe one small little loop so yeah it's not, that's the only real circuit race we have left and it's for guys that like circuit racing it's super fun because there's always something going on it's never really boring there's always you always need to be in good position you always need to be thinking what's coming next and saving energy and it's really a thinking game which keeps you on your toes and for a rider like me it's 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 fun which yeah, some races can get a little bit boring where you're just sitting in a peloton for 150k and nothing happens and then, uh, yeah, a sprint in the final or one little climb in the finish or something like this. But in Canada, it's always something going on, which, yeah, a lot of riders like it because it's, yeah, it's exciting. Have the races over the over the nine years, have they developed their own sort of, like, is there a strategy to winning Quebec or Montreal as as people sometimes say there's a you know the strategy for winning flesh alone is you know wait till the climb at the end is there any like decisive or just common strategy to either one of these races um i think quebec is normally nine times out of ten going to be a sprint so i think a lot of guys try try to attack but in the end the gap between the two final climbs along the water there is just too long and um the climbs are probably too short that guys really get dropped and uh, out of the race. So a lot of guys still have teammates left to, to, do, to still do a sprint for their, uh, for their sprinter. So yeah, you see the guys that win um, Quebec and normally uh, punchy sprinters. So yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Narrows it down that it's going to be nine times out of 10, a bunch sprint unless it's bad weather or something or yeah. There's some negative uh, stuff in the bunch, but yeah, I think Montreal is more open. That um, a lot of different things can happen, where the climb, like the not pure climbers, but uh, really good climbers, can really make a difference on the long climbs. It's not guaranteed they're going to stay away, but I think the last few times I've done it, uh, I think the breakaway stayed away at least once, maybe even twice. So yeah, you never really know what. It's going to happen in Montreal, but yeah, uh, Quebec's a bit more controlled, I guess. And you're hoping to defend your uh, your wins of 2018 again in 2019? Yeah, I think it'll be my my first time 
wearing number one um, in a in a classic. So for me, that's pretty special already going there and uh, having number one on my back. And um, yeah, for sure, I'll be trying to defend the the two first places. Obviously, it's going to be difficult, but um, yeah, I think uh, it's already going to be such an amazing feeling putting number one on my back and uh, going to the start line and just trying to defend it. If I don't, then uh, I don't, but for sure I'll give it everything I have to to make sure I do defend it because, um, yeah, straight afterwards we have the World Championships in uh, in Yorkshire, so for sure I'll be in my, my top shape to, uh, to defend the Canadian Classics. Michael Matthews, thank you very much. Thank you. Michael Matthews rides for Team Sunweb. On September 13th, he plans on defending his 2018 win in Quebec City. He plans on doing the same thing in Montreal two days later. The cyclocross weekend, that's two days of racing on a Saturday and a Sunday in the fall. They can be big targets for amateurs and pros alike. For the amateur juggling work, family, and racing, there are athletic challenges as well as logistical ones. Coach Peter Glassford has advice that will help you plan your next big CX doubleheader. Peter Glassford, I have a question about uh, a big cyclocross weekend it's not uncommon um, for friends of mine i haven't done it in a while but for friends of mine to go on a trip and they race saturday and they race sunday and then they go back to work on monday Uh, it's a big weekend what are some of your tips for making this weekend go smoothly yeah, it's a common thing, right? It's, it's a big part of cyclocross, and we see all the pros are racing, you know, Saturday, Sunday, uh, which is exciting, right? And it's sort of part of the sport, but then if you back out, I don't know, you know, you can still certainly do a full cyclocross season and just race, you know, once a weekend. Uh, so I usually always sort of just try and really ask the question of, are you sure you want to do a double weekend every single weekend and back that out to like, make sure you check with your family if they're cool with that. Cause that's, you're gone all work week and then gone Saturday, Sunday. Um, and, and that's without even talking about traveling to races, right? You know, if they're all local, then maybe it's a little different, but you know, if you're having to prep all your gear Friday, whatever, and then go to the race and pre-ride and cleaning it and then racing and then driving home and then back the next day. And then, you know, it's tough pretty quickly. You have like a whole work week, double weekend, whole work week, and then maybe another double weekend. Right. So it's just hard to get that, that recovery day, right. That all the pros enjoy, you know, they have their sort of couple off days, light spins to the coffee shop and stuff midweek. And a lot of us don't have that opportunity to sort of catch our breath. Right. Um, so, so my first thing before we get into double weekends is just make sure you want to do it. And the ones you do, you know, maybe are sort of like that big a race when you go, we, you and I were talking about the world cup in at Trek in, uh, mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. Right. And so maybe that is, maybe it's like a great fun one. I know a lot of Canadians go down to jingle cross, something like that, where it's a big spectacle. You're seeing, you know, the pros race, and then you just jump into those, those two races over the weekend. Right. And you sort of are bundling or stacking a bunch of like social time and, you know, spectating in the sport you love. And so to me, that's, that's fine. That's good. But just be careful with the number of them that you do as a, as a busy working person. Right. Mm -hmm. 
When I'm in the midst of a double weekend, um, what should I be doing to balance recovery and and maybe also spectating and taking in a, a big event? Because a lot of these are, you know, say C2 races, maybe right. even C1. So it means that pros are around on the hunt for UCI points. So it's just so busy. How do I balance it, Peter? Yeah, I mean, if you're doing that double weekend, you're sort of in there, right? So I think preparation is always always good, right? So having your bikes ready even early, you know, maybe the weekend before, if you have that weekend off or something, you can do a lot of prep work and bag prepping and, you know, wheels are set up and, you know, just so you're not gluing tubular tires or something the night before the race, right? Like, that's just crazy. Uh, and then I think, you know, if it's possible and you can get sort of a half day off work or day off work here or there, um, you know, not possible for all of us, but sometimes, you know, again, around an A race, a big weekend, maybe that is something you want to look at it. And that's your discretion. If you want to do that on the Friday or on the, the, actually the day after, right. Get it that Monday, get back on top of things, get a nap or something could be, could be nice too. Right. And sort of just help when we're talking about recovery, obviously, again, that relaxation, downtime, uh, time to sleep is going to be huge. Um, so in line with that, just having some meals prepped, um, and, and you choose what your routine is, but that could be, you know, some, some snacks sort of in Tupperware type thing. You see a lot of the pros doing that with their breakfast and their lunch. They have sort of meals pre-made and in a cooler. Um, so that definitely can be quite helpful so that there's food on hand and you're not sort of at the whim of what's available and what's left at the, the race. Right. Um, so I think that as far as recovery and sort of making it through the weekend, it's that piece around preparation, maybe giving yourself a bit more time, uh, and then packing, I guess, food, um, is something that sometimes gets overlooked. What do you advise, uh, some of your, your clients on, um, the number of these double weekends that they should do? I'm, I'm aware it depends on, you know, the fitness of the person, their schedule, how easy it is to, to take uh, work off or how easy it is to balance family commitments. But, you know, if you could pick an average number of like double weekends that, uh, say, an um, amateur rider could safely do in a fall, what would, what would you put that number at? Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Because it's, it's one of those things like humans are amazing, right? Like I was just at, again, I, I come back to this stage race we were just at uh, for mountain biking. And it's like people as an elite, right? So say I train 15 hours. I don't train that much anymore. But say I do. Like our total race time for these three days in mountain biking was under nine hours, maybe say under 10 hours, right? So it, it's it's not a crazy load for for me right i do three hour rides i have those fairly frequently but not everyone has those type of rides right and so if we back that same logic uh, or i should just say so then there's people who were like twice if not more of that but their weekly training volume is much lower so they had like this monstrous training load um and, and in some ways cyclocross is similar right like we're all at work monday to friday so you maybe get like a cross practice in for like a sort of an hour maybe uh, how much time you're pedaling who knows um you know, and maybe there's another workout in there, but especially between double weekends, there's not a lot of time or energy, right? But then you go and race for, we'll call it an hour, but I, get, I realize most of us are not an hour, but you have your warm up and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so you're really getting like, that's a pretty good dose of, we'll call it threshold, you know, sort of race pace intensity, right? So that's two big bouts of just sort of like full gas racing that then you have to absorb and recover somehow during the week, right? So it's, it's a tricky thing to ever you know, you sort of see people start fading and losing fitness because it's just this like using, uh, you know, using the hay in the barn, right? So we're sort of like pulling the hay out of the barn, but there's the hay's never going back in the barn, right? Um, So it's tough. 
So to answer your question, I, I don't know. I think fewer <laughs> is better. Um, and, and again, try and pick the ones that you can really be like recovered for and ready for um, and that fit into your life. Um, I don't know. I like the number two, but I'll give you two as your, your random number that you can do. No, I like but, that. But, I would, yeah. if I were to make up a maybe a formula, it would be like, you know, when you're planning your season and you look at the calendar and you're just so full of enthusiasm and right. you just want to race and you're like, yeah, here, here, here. I can probably make that one work. And why not? Let's throw one here. So let's say yeah. you do that. Take away at least one or two. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, like N, N minus like four or something. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually have a couple clients who are like really on top of stuff. And it's cool when people like that's really in coaching. That's the goal, right? Is to like make people like see the training process, see what makes sense. You know, things like you're describing are, are great when people are starting to do that. And I have clients who have like put notes into, into the tra- training calendar that like, remember last year you were really upset and hated like cyclocross by the end. So race less this year or something uh, like yes. that. Right. Like it's like their August 15th reminder for when the schedule and they're deciding. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely just being cautious. And I think the running it by your family or spouse is, is a good sort of just check in too. And like being very explicit about like what that means when you're driving to all these C2s in the States or, or whatever, right? Like I'll be gone Friday to like Sunday at 11 PM. Yeah. And, and just, just see how that goes over. And usually that's a good, just sort of like litmus test. If you, I guess litmus test, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, for, for if that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe it's a stress test. Um, stress test. But it's also, uh, that is, I love that reminder of like, remember you didn't like that thing when you did it last year so maybe reconsider because yes there is that optimism um early in the season which um can be a bit delusional yeah and it's really like when we look at periodization right like it's just sometimes when you look at those calendars it's you know you you can look at the volume the training load and, and the number of race days um, and it's just, if we see the pros doing this many and then like an amateur is doing way more then again, it depends what the goal is. If it's just to be there and be part of it, then you can certainly do it. But if the, if there's going to be any sort of like, oh, I'm really bummed about how I did at nationals, right. Then we need to look at that a little better. Cause if nationals is going to be the thing that's like at the end of the season, what's the most important thing? Um, then that's where you need to start thinking, like, do I actually need, like, why do I have to do all these, like every citizens race and every provincial race and every, you know, weekly race even, right? Cause that's the other piece we haven't even talked about is that, you know, now the number of race days go up as those weekly races, you know, start getting in there too. So just being cautious, right? Mm-hmm. These are great tips, Peter, as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Peter Glassford is a professional coach and head of smart athlete coaching services send in your ask a coach questions for peter to podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca and that's the episode it's put together by me matthew piaro and dan walker with help from terry mccall and philippe tremblay it's produced by adam killick he also composed the music Also thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. Dan, where can people go to uh, learn more about all that we're up to here at Canadian Cycling Magazine? That there would be uh, cycling... (laughs) (laughs) That there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) The Hillbilly Dan is here. (laughs) Sorry, try that again, Hillbilly Dan, that there, internets. 
<laughs> okay, well, Dan is collecting himself. He would. <laughs> that there would be cyclingmagazine.ca. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, where you can find all, you can find all, you can find out all about Mont Saint Anne worlds. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, previews of the Quebec and Montreal Grand Prix cyclist races. Yep. Uh, and uh, gear tips, maintenance stuff, uh, reviews, and uh, all about our adventures in Montana and Europe. Mm-hmm. And you can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And mm-hmm. then. What you should do is you should tell somebody about the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who should who should our listeners tell about the podcast? Uh, that would be your local DeLorean dealer. Oh, for making time travel possible. Yes, like we just did in this podcast. Perfect. And also send us your ideas for full send no send, which we'll return. Uh, send those ideas to podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. Uh, ask a coach questions too for Peter Glassford at podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca and please rate and review the show wherever you get your episodes Um, how many stars? five and only if it's something nice please say something nice we really appreciate it talk to you later